It's good to be with you. Some of you uh, may not know, I was gone last week and I took a vacation. I talked with our church leadership and I said, I kind of need to get away for a bit. I was just assessing my own soul and my schedule and things like that and said, I just need to use one of my vacation weeks. They said, go. I took the advice of my wife. She said, try a personal retreat. Now, I don't know about you, but usually vacation means grab the whole family in the car, go somewhere, live like crazy, and you almost need a vacation from your vacation, right? Well, Angela said, why don't you just take a personal retreat? And I said, I've never done that. You're going to have to tell me what that is. And so she's done that before. I went to a little camp uh, Christian renewal center over by Silver Falls and uh, was in a cabin all by myself, no cell service, uh, no Wi-Fi, nothing like that, just the Word of God, a couple other books. I probably did eight months' worth of reading in four days, and uh, just no conversation. Now, some of you would think that's heaven, no people around you for four days. Uh, for me, that was a little scary, and, uh, but God and I had a lot of good conversations, and, and my soul just needed some refreshing because my soul, like yours, at times gets worn out or beat up or burnt out, and I just needed to, as we sing in those songs, Lord, I need you, um, empty me of me so that I could be refreshed by you. And so anyway, it was a great time. I did a lot of soul searching, read some things about the soul, did a lot of reflecting and prayer and journaling. And so in three weeks, I'm going to start a new series, a summer series, uh, addressing our soul. And so I will do that in three weeks, but that's in three weeks. Today, I'm going to continue looking at what we have been the last few weeks, going through the book of Acts, considering the advancing kingdom of Jesus Christ, the advancing kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so before we do that today, I just want to say a few thank yous. I want to thank, say thank you to some of you who wrote me some notes. I guess Chris may have in one or both of the services last week said, uh, drop Scott a note of encouragement. So uh, we got those and Pamela wrote them up for me and it was just, I was blessed to hear from you. So thank you for those notes. Uh, that's one of my love languages, words of, uh, or words is a love language. I want to thank Denny Holbert for those of you who are here. He has been a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, a coach, an encouragement. And so when I said, Denny, I need to be gone for a bit and get away, and he said, oh, I can do that. And, and so many of you told me that you were blessed by him. I'm thankful to Denny for that. And I want to thank one other person who started teaching a class for us last week and taught again today at, uh, during 9 o'clock service, and we'll be teaching one more week next week for our adults, and that is Joel Varner. I'm going to actually ask Joel to come up here real quickly and share what's going on. Could we say a special thank you to Joel? Let's see if that microphone works there. All right. All right. Hey, so you've been teaching a class. I haven't been able to go to it. And um, But you and I talked before. Could you just share with these people what you've been teaching the last two weeks and what you uh, plan to finish up next week? Yeah. So when, when you're going through the book of Acts, uh, that there was the beginning of the church, and the church uh, was a missional movement. And so we've been talking about missional living. What does it mean to live as a missionary? And living as a missionary not just across the world, but sometimes just across the street in your very own community, and talking about how we're not supposed to separate ourselves from the world, we're supposed to engage our community, 
We're supposed to love our community, build relationships with our community, include people into our lives, serve people who are around us, and then hopefully at some point, people are going to ask questions about who we are and, and what we believe, and, and then we should get to share the hope that we have in Christ. And so we've been talking about how we build relationships with people, how we serve people, and next week we're going to talk about how when people start asking us questions, what do we say? How do we respond to people who have very different beliefs and, and, and uh, uh, understandings that we have differently, and how do we connect with them? How do we share with ways that are going to be relevant to them the good news of the gospel? Yeah. And I know this is more than a class to you. You worked on staff at a church. Uh, you're working now regular nine to five in the secular world, and yet you're still part of this advancing kingdom, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, have a tent-making job. I work at a construction company, um, but we also have been living as missionaries in our own neighborhood for the last seven years, and um, we've been blessed to have connection with them, relationships, serve, and be served by them, and share the gospel with our very own neighbors. And so we're just excited to share that uh, life with other people who are interested in that. Good. I'm just going to ask you one more thing, because I was telling somebody about this class, and they said, oh, missional living, that sounds like a lot. Uh, that's too scary for me. Can somebody just show up next week to your third and final class, and, and how scary is it going to be what you uh, share with them? Because th- th- there's maybe a little fear factor involved here. Yeah, it is. Um, it's as, uh, It's not that complicated. The funny thing is people have always said, like, oh, missional living sounds complicated. Um, no, it's just living like Jesus. It's actually pretty simple, just reading Scripture and then actually living it out. And even if you've been, not been a part of the previous classes, you're still going to get a lot out of this next class where we say, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Do I actually have an f- understanding of what the gospel is? And then how would I share that with someone else in a way that is going to be loving and accepted by them as well. So not scary at all, and we're not going to have you stand up and give any, like, (laughs) preaching or teaching at all. You just get to be a part of the conversation and and listen. Great, great. Well, let's say thank you to Joel one more time. Appreciate you, buddy. Next week, 9 o'clock, you can join that class as they finish up there. Well, today I invite you to grab your Bibles with me and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We're making our way through this book. And what we've been doing is I've been teaching from a, a section in this book of something that you hopefully would be reading in the next five days. If you look at the back of your notes, it will say, join us this week as we read Acts chapter 16 through 20. Today, we're going to look at Acts 16. One story in here, page 924, if you want to use this black Bible sitting in front of you. One of the things we're seeing in this uh, passage that in this whole book is that God is advancing his kingdom, that God is advancing his kingdom. People are learning. People are learning that they have a need for God. That's what we've been seeing in this book. And this is what's happening in our church. You and I over and over and in greater ways are understanding we have a need for God. The people you live with, this is what Joel's talking about, all of a sudden would say they have a need for God. They're learning about this. And then all of a sudden, people are responding to God, and people are growing and maturing. And this is us. We are growing and maturing. And because of this, the kingdom of God is advancing. We said a few weeks ago that the kingdom advances through family as we connect to our Father and as we connect with our brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God is advancing. And as we serve one another, as we share with one another. In fact, I'm, I'm just going to say this. Uh, 
first service, there was a gentleman, and I talked to him after the service. Uh, he said, this is last minute, I know, but we're moving tomorrow on Memorial Day. And he says, I need help. There's some big pieces of furniture in my house, and it has to go into a pod, just out of our house into a pod at 10 a.m. in North Albany tomorrow. He says, I need some help. Do you think we could get anybody? I'm like, well, if I found 10 people who could help, how long would it take? An hour? He goes, won't even take an hour if I could get 10. I'm like, oh, man, the kingdom of God would advance if we say, you know what? I could give like almost an hour on my day off. If you're interested, go ahead and write on your connection card. Say, I could help tomorrow, 10 a.m. We will call you. We'll get you the address. You can help. We're going to move just a little bit of furniture into a pod and prove... This idea that the kingdom of God continues to advance as people serve and give of their gifts and their talents and their energies. All right, connection card, that thing right there, 10 a.m., sign me up. At the end of the service, put that in the joy box. Uh, we'll see if that works. All right, uh, as I was reading this last week, and again, I encourage you to be reading this next week. As I was reading chapters 11 through 15, just for my own personal development, as my own understanding of the, this advancing kingdom, I kept coming across words like this that speak to the advancing kingdom. Let me read some of the words I read in 11, chapters 11 through 15. It said, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. That's the advancing kingdom. A great many people were added to the Lord. That's this kingdom advancing says, the word of the Lord grew and multiplied, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. That is a picture of this kingdom advancing. I read this phrase as well, a great multitude believed. All of this is a picture of God's advancing kingdom. And this happened in the early Christian church, and it happens with us as well. And today, specifically, I want us to look at this idea that God is advancing his kingdom through desperate people. Would you write this down? That God is advancing his kingdom through desperate people. So the gentleman at the end of first service, he's desperate. He's like, there's no way I can move this furniture all by myself. I need at least four strong people. I'm like, okay, this is proof that we're going to make this work. He's desperate. He asks and good things are going to happen, I hope, tomorrow, 10 a.m. Anyway, desperate people. You ever get to the end of your rope? You ever get at wit's end? Or maybe I should be asking, how many times did this happen this last week? All right. Where you get to the end of your rope. You get to the, your wit's end and you're just like, if you had hair, you would pull it out, right? Frankly, we all get there at times. And I want to show you a story today where there's some people who are desperate. And that's actually a good thing because God advances his kingdom through desperate people. So you're here this morning, you're saying, this is why I came to church. I'm desperate. Or I've been in a uh, season of life where I'm desperate. I want you to know that's good news because God advances his kingdom through desperate people. So Acts chapter 16, let's look at this. And one more thing before we read this, we're going to read about a man named Paul. Paul was a man who had been changed or transformed by God. He was like us, a churchgoer. He was even at church on Memorial Day weekend, all right? So he's one of those. I mean, he's the best of the best like you, right? 
or else you have nothing else to do. But anyway, Paul is one of these guys. He knew a lot about God. He knew a lot of what we would call the Old Testament, but he did not know Jesus. He was a very religious man, but he had to be changed. He had to be transformed until he understood that Jesus Christ would change his life. It wasn't about his outward appearance and his religion. He needed internal soul change. Well, Paul was one of these men who is, turns to Jesus in his desperation. We're going to read about him. He's on a missionary trip to Europe. He and his partner Silas, they were in a city called Philippi, which is in uh, the area known as Greece, part of this Roman world. And we're going to read today about how they faced much opposition. Follow along if you would. I'm going to start at verse 22. Ready? Acts 16, verse 22. It says this, that the crowd joined in attacking them. That is Paul and Silas. And you have to know as you read the story this week, this is unjust attacks that are on them. They're just simply going around talking about Jesus, who is the Son of God, who lived this sinless life, who was crucified for the sins of the world so that you and I could be forgiven, that he was raised from the dead, that he ascended to heaven, and now he is transforming lives. People didn't like this, and they are attacking them. So verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Don't lose sight of that. Put them in, ordered the jailer to keep them safely. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Does that sound like a desperate situation? (laughs) I mean, all you were doing was preaching about Jesus, and now you're not just in a prison. You're in the inner prison. Your feet are chained. Uh, That's a desperate situation. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I'm not sure how you would respond to unjust attacks. This is how they do it. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. This is not your normal earthquake. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He started, we're going to consider his situation today, the jailer, his desperate situation. Verse 28, Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I know you've been singing about God. You've been talking to God. This isn't a normal earthquake. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to the jailer. They were expounding. It probably took process. This isn't just one sentence. They took time with him and spoke the word of the Lord to the jailer and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, the jailer, along with his entire household, 
that he had believed in God. Here is another picture of the kingdom advancing. The jailer thinks he's just doing his job, lock them up. They think they're in a desperate situation. All along, God says, I've got a plan. I'm going to advance the kingdom. I'm going to save this man and his family. Now, there's a lot to this story. We probably could uh, have many discussions over what's happening here. But what I want us to consider today is that people who were terrified in this situation, people who were at wit's end were struggling. They were desperate. And frankly, all of us get to our wit's end. All of us are desperate for something to change in our lives. Just if you would agree with that, just kind of nod your head like, yeah, I can think of something that I have been desperate for or today I am desperate for. We all get to a place like this, maybe even to the point that you would want to bring about self-harm to yourself. But I want you to know this today, that the gospel of Jesus, the very good news of Jesus tells us that desperation can lead to transformation. Would you write this phrase down? That desperation can lead to transformation. It can lead to change. It can lead to maturity. It can lead to, if you want a big word, sanctification, where God continues to shape you. Your desperation can lead to that. It can lead to that for Paul and Silas, who are in the middle of a jail cell. It can be this for this jailer. We don't even have his name. But desperation can lead to transformation. That's good news. Because of Jesus, desperation can lead to complete and radical change. Here's the question I would pose for all of us today. Will you turn to God or will you turn to self when you are in those desperate situations? Where do you turn? And this probably determines if it leads to transformation for the good or the bad. Where are you going to turn in this time of desperation? Where do you turn? In those tough times, will you allow God to be the solution? Or will you trust in your limited knowledge? Will you trust in your skills to find your way out of the mess? We're going to look at the jailer here in a minute. And I, frankly, when I first looked at this, I thought, I'm just going to talk about him. Because this is desperate. It says he's about ready to take his own life. But as I looked at this, I said, you know what? This is also desperate for Paul and Silas, right? I mean, they were just having a good day until all of a sudden they're in jail. What's our plan now? But if the gospel of Jesus tells us that desperation can lead to transformation, how do you respond? Paul and Silas, they do what? Let's talk to God. God, we have no idea why we're here. I mean, maybe this is the end of the rope for us. Okay, we'll be with you. But in the meantime, we're just going to sing praise to you. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> in desperation, they may have sang some songs like, Lord, I need you. It may have been empty me. It may have been any of these. Maybe it's simply a Jesus loves me, this I know. But when Paul and Silas are in desperation... They look to God. The jailer, when he gets there, 
His first thought was, I'm going to go to my limited understanding. The prisoners are out. What are they going to do? They're probably going to come after me. They're going to overwhelm me, take my life. I'd rather do it before they do it. Or my boss, who put me in charge of them, my boss is going to have my head. Either way, I'd like to do this work before anybody else does this. What do you do? Where do you turn in your desperation? Because desperation can lead to transformation. I want to go back to Paul and Silas, too, because I'm thinking, what, what are they thinking? They're, they're sitting here, and it's like, man, this is not what we scripted when we woke up this morning. They might have got on Facebook if there was cell service, you know, and, hey, ended up in jail and said, you know what, I, I want a bunch of sympathy from my friends. Sometimes we go on Facebook just to get a bunch of sympathy, right? Or maybe they were doing a little Instagram post and hashtag uh, prison life or something like that. I think sometimes we, okay, I'm just, I got a heavy heart. I'm desperate need. I'm just going to let everybody else know, maybe so they can pray for me, so they can pity me or whatever. But these guys, and they probably didn't have Facebook or Instagram, but they started going to God. They turned to God in their desperation. And what I'd like us to consider today is where we choose to turn in times of desperation really sets the course for us. I don't know if it's a diagnosis you're working with or a relationship issue you're working with or some finances you're working with. Whatever the desperate situation is, where we choose to turn in times of desperation will set the course for us. So will we turn it to God, the giver of life, the giver of hope? Or will we turn to our limited understanding? Will we turn to Facebook? I don't know. But desperation can lead to transformation if you turn to God. Desperation can lead to transformation if you turn to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The answer for Paul and Silas? Let's sing to him. Let's talk to him. Let's lay our request before him. They had no idea that it was going to be some kind of a God saying, you know what, I'm just going to shake that up down there a little bit and let them out. They didn't know the answer, but they knew that God was the answer. The jailer at first, he just thought the answer is, well, i got to take my life. Before long, he turns to these guys when they say don't. And he says, well, what, what do I have to do to be saved? I, okay, I'll turn to you and your God. And the kingdom advances because he ultimately turns to Paul and Silas's God, to Jesus Christ. The answer for you and me is Jesus in our desperation, and that can lead to much transformation. I want you to write this phrase down, if you would, that the kingdom of God is advancing in me and through me as I acknowledge my need for rescue in every aspect of my life. I want you to know that God is going to advance his kingdom in you and ultimately through you as you look to him, as you acknowledge your need for rescue in every aspect of your life. That thing that you're worrying about right now, if you would acknowledge your need for rescue, God's going to do something in you and through you. That illness that you're concerned with, if you would acknowledge your need for rescue to God, he will work in you and through you. That pressure you're facing 
If you acknowledge your need of rescue, God's going to work in you and through you. As I was reflecting on this story, I was just reminded there are a lot of ministries in our community that help people turn to God, help people walk through this, say, okay, you are desperate for one reason or another. Let us help you point, be pointed to God. I started thinking about Adult and Teen Challenge. It's a great ministry that helps people look to Jesus. Mid-Valley Fellowship. It's a ministry helping people turn to Jesus. Options Pregnancy Center, helping give ladies life-affirming choices. Even Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous would say, we got to realize that there is a higher power. Friends of the family, marriage works. For people who are saying, I'm desperate in my relationships, desperate in my marriage. They say, you know what, we can help you, but we're going to point you to God. Celebrate Recovery is one of those ministries, helping people say, you know what, I can help you in your desperate situation. I'm going to help you by pointing you to Jesus. Well, today what I want to do is I'm going to ask three of my friends to join me on the stage, talk about their ministry that does that. And so I'm going to ask that you give a nice big warm welcome this morning onto the stage, Mike C., his wife Michelle C., and William Vargas. Would you three come up here, please? Mike and Michelle and William have been a part of Celebrate Recovery, and I want you to hear a little from them, some of the desperation they have faced in life and some of the desperation they are able to help others with in life. And, uh, and so these three are all leaders in this ministry called Celebrate Recovery. One of the reasons I wanted them to come up today is because two days ago, We just finished the eighth year of ministry of Celebrate Recovery here at Willamette Community Church. So I want to say thank you. Eight years faithfully, every Friday night, they have been serving our community and our church family. And and so that means that this Friday night, June 2nd at 6.30, is the start of a new chapter in that. So If you have any questions about Celebrate Recovery after the service, you can talk to one of these three about that. Um, But I want you to hear how the kingdom of God is advancing through ordinary people who are turning to God in in their desperate times and helping through Celebrate Recovery. Mike, I'm going to start with you. If you would just tell us what Celebrate Recovery is. Uh, Celebrate Recovery is a Christian, Christ-centered 12-step program, and it was started in the early 90s, early 1990s, from uh, Saddleback Church. If that name sounds familiar, it's uh, Rick Warren's church. Terry knows that. Um, And uh, right now, there are thousands of them around, but it's uh, simply a ministry that helps folks deal with pretty much anything they bring to it. Yeah. How many Celebrate Recoveries did you say are in the state of Oregon? In, in Oregon, there are over 80 right now. Yeah. Okay. How did you first get connected to this ministry? Uh, by accident. I, uh, that's how you see it. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, exactly. Um, I was... In the mid-90s, I was attending Grace Bible Fellowship out in Tangent, 
And um, the pastor there, Don Bain, happened to be a Rick Warren kind of a disciple. He followed Rick Warren very closely. And he had bought a leader's guide for Celebrate Recovery. And this was in 1999. And he knew that I was a little bit streetwise. Um, so he asked me if I would review the guide with him. And I went through it, and I gave him back his leadership guide, and I said, yeah, this is pretty neat. I think you ought to do it. And so we started looking for a leader to lead Celebrate Recovery, and we looked, and we looked, and we looked, and eventually at a breakfast meeting, Donnie and a couple of the elders were kind of sitting there with smirks on their face, and that's the day I was drafted. So... Uh, <laughs> In January of 2000, we started the first Celebrate Recovery in Oregon. Mm, wow, wonderful. Why did they pick you? You said something about streetwise, but uh, talk about your desperation. Why? Well, Donnie knew that when I came to Grace Bible Fellowship, I was, I was a broken man. I, had, uh, I, I was a good, bad example, I think is the best way I could say it without getting into too much. I had, I had two resumes, one that I showed the public and mm. one that the Lord knew. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good, bad example. I like that phrase. I like that phrase. As we uh, look at this, celebrate recovery, and I want you to write down these words here. Celebrate recovery is helping people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Mike, I want you to explain those because uh, let's see if that will resonate with any of us here today. Um, let's see. The first one, hurts, has to do with physical hurts, emotional hurts. Um, it could be a, abuse. It could be verbal. It could be almost anything. But um, whatever it is, it usually involves unforgiveness on our part. Hmm. So if you can just think of all the people you hate and all the people you resent and all the jerks you've had to deal with and all the times you've been offended and all the times you've decided, no, I'm not going to forgive them, that's a hurt. All right, let's see. How many people in this room have hurts? <laughs> all right, so yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're awake, it's you. Okay, all right. Habits, what do you mean by that? Habits are um, obsessive behaviors, and it, it could be alcohol drug abuse, it could be food, it could be sex, it could be almost anything, um, and it's surprising, but only about 30% of the people who attend CR worldwide are actually dealing with alcohol or drug addictions. Wow. What percent again? About 30. 30. Wow. Okay. Yeah. The and then hang-ups. Hang-ups are kind of a catch-all. The easiest way that I know to understand it is if there's a common um, definition for insanity, which says if you do the same thing over and over and over and over again expecting different results, that's insanity. And that probably, that's probably the best way to deal with the hang-ups. And we, we see that in our relationships or whatever. We tend to See the same thing over and over again. So each week you're meeting to help people with these hurts, with these habits, and with these hang-ups. Uh, I'm going to ask Michelle, how did you get connected to 
celebrate recovery. What, what was your uh, initiation into this ministry? Yeah, um, so the scripture today, um, kind of just like the jailer, I had my own earthquake happen to me. Uh, went through a divorce and uh, was raising two kids on my own. And um, I had some forgiveness that I needed to work through. Um, I didn't want to remain stuck where I was in my unforgiveness and resentments. And the pastor at the church that I was going to at the time recommended that I go to celebrate recovery to find healing there. Mm. And that's how I got started. Yeah. So you went and then you've become a leader, right? Yes, I did. Um, since then, um, now that I'm at this church, um, I have decided to come along my husband here and be a helpmate to him and help serve in Celebrate Recovery. And the longer I'm in it and more exposed to it, the more I realize I have a lot of issues. <laughs> um, you know, it's not just the big crisis in life that can draw you to, uh, to use the tools in this program. It's the little things, too. And it's the little things that build up over time that become big things. And that's kind of what Celebrate Recovery does, is we try to, to keep our bucket empty and mm -hmm. not let it fill up and deal with these issues as they come along so that uh, years later we're not having to rehash um, things and we can get on in our relationship with the Lord um, and be healthy. Yeah, I appreciate that because one of the things is we do grow and we do mature, but part of that maturity is realizing that we need to examine our heart constantly. And it's like, oh, I still have a little bit of unforgiveness over this, or this week I was hurt by this. I think this was part of the reason I went away, just said, okay, my soul needs some care. And so it's not that we become leaders of something. It's like, ah. Um, it's not that we're just the president of the hair club for men, but we're also, you know, what? You know, we need it as well, right? And so I, I'm glad to hear that, that, uh, yeah, you've grown up and become a leader in this, but God continues to remind you of things. You mentioned that you still have issues. That reminds me of one of the shirts you wear, Mike. Uh, what's your shirt say? <laughs> I have... I have a T-shirt that I, when we first started CR here, we handed out to the leaders, and it says, even my issues have issues. <laughs> even my issues have issues. Yes, that's good, good. And then William, I want uh, everybody to hear a little bit. How did you get started with Celebrate Recovery? How, why did you show up for the very first time? This is amazing how I started this group. I thought that I had the whole thing together because I was a Christian. I've been attending every Sunday, coming to church. I was going every time that I had a community group. I was being attending to the morning prayer. So I thought I was good. I thought the whole thing together. And I was curious about what this program was all about. And I just to stop by and check it out. At the sixth meeting, I just realized that I have a lot of issues. At what meeting? The first one? At the sixth one. Sixth one. Okay. <laughs> You're a slow learner like a lot of us. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
the most thing that I hate, that's what I became to be. And that was hurting my family. Mm. And that's the reason that I decided to, to stay on CR. Yeah. So you've been doing this for a while. And now you are at times leading lessons. Is that right? I just have a little more than a year in serving now. Mm. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Amen. Lord. And so would you agree with Michelle's statements, a statement that uh, you find out that I still have issues? I'm still working on it. This is never-ending. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's an important point for all of us to understand is that uh, there's desperation in there where we say, hmm, something's not working right. And whether it's Celebrate Recovery or one of these other ministries or whether that's taking a personal retreat, realizing, okay, I need some help. This happens to be one ministry that helps with that, and and that's why I wanted you to hear them this morning. I'm going to ask Mike and Michelle and, and William to share with us, because he mentioned it's a 12-step program, Christian 12-step program. Mike, would you share with us the first step in Celebrate Recovery, which I believe should be, frankly, the first step whenever we face desperate times? Yeah, the, the first step is simply to admit to yourself that you are powerless by your own strength to handle the issues you're trying to face in your life, that your life is unmanageable and you can't do a darn thing about it. Yeah. Let's write this point down. I'm powerless in my own strength. I'm powerless in my own strength. Uh, Mike, sh share with us either your story of being powerless or how you've seen this play out. Um, I, I guess the easiest way I could do that is I, I thought I was very good at striking a pose. Mm. And um, I, I could put on a coat and tie mm. and I could act as if I were successful and had it together. But I was kind of like a gerbil in one of those cages just mm -hmm. running faster and faster and faster and until um, I guess God just kind of crushed me, yeah, yeah. slowed me down. Yeah. That's the easiest way I know to explain it. And I, that's how he explained to me that I was powerless. Up until he did, I thought I was. I thought I had it together. I thought I was powerful. Yeah. I thought I was pulling it off. So this desperation that can lead to transformation really starts with this point of saying, okay, realize I'm powerless. I think I'm just this gerbil running around in this wheel here. I want you to look at a couple of verses. We're going to start in Romans chapter 7. This is written by this Paul who had been in prison, who had called out to Jesus, who had been transformed himself. But he says this, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right. I'm, I'm this gerbil in this cage, but not the ability to carry it out. You might say, oh, that's exactly my life. I'm trying something on my own. I feel powerless. I, I can't do this. And Paul says, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. Frankly, you should read this chapter this week, okay? And when you get to the end of that chapter, read the very next verse of the next chapter, okay? But what Paul is saying is, I'm realizing I'm powerless, and you should, and I should realize this too. That it's like there are a lot of things I want to do, and I can't seem to produce them in my life. And all the things I don't want to do, that's exactly what I'm doing. 
And there's this powerlessness to me. And the Apostle Paul writes this to us. And this is the first step in CR. I want to show you another verse in John chapter 15. This is what Jesus says, and it's a similar idea. Jesus says, I'm the vine, I'm the life source, you're the branches, you're an extension off of me. Whoever abides in me and I in him, so if we're connected, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You're trying to, I want to be joyful and patient and have peace and love and all of these things. On your own, you can produce nothing. But when you realize, uh, I can't do this on my own, Jesus says, when there's that connection, then all of a sudden you can bear fruit. Michelle, would you share with us the second step of CR, which again, I think is the second step of in, for any of us when we face a desperate situation. Sure. It's uh, realized that only God has the power to transform my life. Only God has the power to transform. And a lot of times we think that uh, we have the power, that we like to play God and think that we can do this on our own. Um, but that's not, that's not what uh, is truth. And it's giving up that power and putting it uh, where it belongs. Amen. Let me show you a few other passages, all written by the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 2, this is great. He's in a Philippian jail. Later in life, from another jail cell, he's writing to this church in Philippi. He says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is what he understands. It's God who's working. Don't praise me that I've figured this out. God's been working in my life. And if you find victories, give credit and praise to God for working in your life. And if you're trying to figure out why it's not working, know that you have to rely on this God to work in your life. Another passage, and some of you, if you've been in church a long time, you'd be familiar with this one. Paul writes this, Philippians chapter 4. Right there, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says, I can be content in this miserable situation. I can handle this thing. Why? Not because I'm a superhero or anything like this. I can handle all situations. I can handle all problems. I can handle all devastations that would come my way through him who strengthens me, through him who empowers me. Paul writes this. This is exactly what this point two in CR is. One more passage I want you to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The same apostle Paul writes this. He said to me, that's Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's an interesting passage. Read this chapter again this week too. I mean, you're looking for something to read. Read this. Because at this point, the Apostle Paul has a problem. He says, I asked Jesus to remove it from me three different times. Whatever it was, we don't even know what it was. He said, I asked and I asked and I asked, take it away. And Jesus said, mm, I'm not going to. But my overall goodness in your life, that is enough. Because here's what you need to know. My power, Jesus says, is made perfect in your weakness. When you're weak, when you start saying, Lord, I need you, he's like, that's when I bring power. 
We try to hide from and run from some of these desperate situations. Jesus says, no, embrace them because they can lead to transformation. They can lead to my power. You like this passage, Mike, right? I do. Um, This is probably the central scripture, central passage that supports Celebrate Recovery. In fact, at the ministry, we give out these little plastic, they look like poker chips, coins, chips, whatever, um, to help people commemorate and remember uh, significant dates in the Lord working in our lives. And all of the chips that we hand out have this scripture imprinted on them. So it's, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. And that, I, I, as I understand it, I've never spoken directly with Rick, but my understanding is that that scripture is critical to him and very important to him as well. So. Yeah, those devastating times, understanding, okay, weakness, tough times, that's good because that's where we call out to Jesus and he comes in and strengthens us. William, share with us, if you would, what's the third step with Celebrate Recovery? And again, frankly, it's one of the third steps in all devastating events that would come our way. Uh, Will I choose to commit my life to Jesus that was very, very difficult for me to make that decision because I was running away from home when I was 10 to 12 years old. And I grew up in the street and I was being dragged in all those stuff for many, many years. And when I had to make that decision that I had to commit my life to Jesus, that's when I started being serious because I just don't want to let it go of my habit. I just want to keep playing with. I just want to give part-time to Jesus, but that's not what it says. It says, will I choose to commit my life to Jesus? Yeah, all of it. All of it. Yeah. And there's two aspects to this where many of you in this room would say, you know what, I've committed my life to Jesus. I've done that. I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. Um, That's one aspect where we commit our lives to Jesus. But when you're meeting each week, this is a daily commitment too, right? This isn't just, oh, you're, you're saved, you've said a prayer, you're good. This is a constantly, I will commit my life to Jesus. Quite or hourly. Hourly, yeah. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, committing my life to Jesus. Let me show you another passage Written by this same Apostle Paul who's been transformed. He writes this in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some of you are familiar with this passage as well. In view of all of God's mercies in my life, he says, so the next step is to offer your life to the Lord. Yes, one time, but he's writing this specifically already to Christians who have committed their life to Jesus. If you're here and you say, well, I've already done that, this idea is in view of God's mercy, you continue to commit your life to Jesus over and over and over, not to get saved over and over again, but this is just in view of your mercy, this life is actually your life, Lord. And when I have a tough situation in front of me, Now, I'm going to choose to follow you. I'm going to choose to follow your way. 
So Mike and Michelle and William, they're living this out. They're teaching this idea that I need to always commit my life to Jesus. Then I like the end of that, and it says this is actually worship. Remember, worship is not just singing a few songs on Sunday or driving in your car singing a few songs, but worship is seeing that God is worthy in view of his mercy in your life, saying, okay, because you're worthy, I'm giving you everything I have. I'll give you my Friday nights. I'll give you my every moment because that is, you're worthy of that. And this is actually worship when we commit our lives to God in this way. And so this is a one-time thing. Certainly it's ongoing. Before I say the last point here, Mike, Michelle, William, anything you want to say? You're like, mm, I, I'm just... I'm all better now. You're all better now. <laughs> it's a process, isn't it? It's a process. And Michelle, I appreciated what you said. It's like, okay, uh, I came to get some healing, but I still... Yeah, we, we will all have issues until we enter glory and... I would just like to encourage um, anybody to check us out on Friday nights. Um, you know, you don't have to have a, a, a drug or alcohol problem to need Celebrate Recovery. Um, there can be issues that lie deep within that aren't obvious to other people. Um, so I just encourage any and all of you to, to come check us out. Is it a safe place? I mean, that sounds kind of weird to say that I got problems. I mean, everybody else in the church knows that I don't have problems, or that's what they think. Yeah, it is a safe place to share. Um, we, um, we have these rules that we go by. There are rules to this um, group, and one of them is confidentiality. Uh, whatever is said in there stays in there. And that is what we go by. So it is a safe place to come and, and share and kind of just get out what's in your heart and get it out in the open. And sometimes just releasing that um, can bring healing in and of itself. Good. Thank you. How, how long is a normal CR Friday night? Uh, for just that evening? For that evening, time frame. Uh, well, we have a, a new time that we're starting, starting this week, this Friday. Uh, we're starting at 6.30, and usually we spend about a half an hour in, uh, we play some songs, we worship the Lord, and then we go into the lesson. So you're looking at half an hour, 45 minutes for that part, and then we break up into men and women sharing groups, and depending on how many people are there in each group, um, you know, that can take anywhere from 10 minutes to 45 minutes to go get through. So, you know, you're looking at maybe close to hour and a half, two hours, yeah, yeah. maybe not quite that long, but yeah. Thank you. You want to say something, William? Go ahead. I just want to add a little bit what Michelle was saying that if you can support us in prayer, or like she was saying, checking us out, uh, we need that. We need that as, as a church. We're not going to talk right now as a uh, group. We need that as a church. If you can support us in prayer, if you can stop by, that would be appreciated. And pray for the one that has been in recovery. Yeah. 
we will be praying for you in just a moment. Let me just share one closing thought, and for those of you who are note takers, here's what I want you to remember as we consider this idea of desperate times leading to transformation, that God's kingdom will advance as I turn to him and as I call out to him and as I cry out to him for redemption and rescue, God's kingdom will advance. And he's placed some of this in our hands and it will advance as I turn to him. Every single one of us as we turn to him. As you turn to him today and say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Later today, when you turn and say, Jesus, I need you. When Jesus' followers, when this family realizes that Jesus is the answer, especially in our desperate times, oh, this kingdom advances like crazy. And it's all for the glory of God. And so you continue to turn to him. I will continue to turn to him. Uh, Mike and Michelle and William will continue to turn to him and continue to coach others to turn to him. And God's kingdom will advance. You mentioned prayer, and I'm going to ask that we close our time in prayer. I've asked Lee and Vicki Ike, who are also the community group leaders for Mike, Michelle, and William, to lead us in a time of prayer. Would all of us please stand this morning, and and as William asked, let's take a moment to pray for these three, to pray for their ministry, even to pray for ourselves. You You might be... here today and saying, okay, this is what I need. I need to turn again to Jesus. And maybe today it's even turning to him for the very first time. You say, I'm that gerbil and I'm just going around and around and around. You turn to him and in your weakness, he strengthens. And so Lee and Vicki, would you lead us in prayer for these three in their ministry, please? Father, I just want to thank you so much for the commitment that Mike and Michelle have to this ministry and Not just their commitment of time, Lord, but I know that they truly love the people here. They have a heart for this ministry, for the people who walk through the doors. Thank you, Father, that it is a safe place. Father, I thank you for the work that you have done in William's life and that you are continuing to do. And thank you, Father, for just uh, raising him up for this purpose of reaching out to others now and becoming a leader himself. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to do your work through them and that there would be clear evidence that um, you are empowering them and the people who come to be uh, empowered and to grow in you and to know you in Jesus' name. Father, we just thank you for, through your son, you have restored grace and forgiveness to all of us. And Lord, thank you for that. And yet, Lord, we, you know even better than we do that we live in a broken world, that we have broken bodies and broken minds. And Lord, we do struggle. All of us struggle in some degree with hurts, habits, and hangups. And Father, we thank you for Celebrate Recovery for Mike and Michelle and William's leadership and others who lead that ministry. Lord, help us all each day to decide to turn to you and to deliberately come closer to you, Father. We just thank you for them and their uh, commitment to that and to helping others to advance your kingdom in Jesus' name. And Heavenly Father, I <clears throat> agree with these prayers for these three in this ministry. And I also want to pray for this church family here. Uh, God, that you would help us to acknowledge that you are the answer. 
We all stumble. We all fall. We all struggle. We all lack power in ourselves to do this, but you have that power. And so I ask that you would give us the courage to find healing, whether that's in Celebrate Recovery or another way, but that you would help us to turn to you. God, I I pray for those that might be here today and have never turned to you. They're, They're just trying to be good and religious on their own and And yet, true power comes from you. And if they would simply, even today, say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm desperate. I need change. That you would come in and that you would heal and that you would bring forgiveness. And these are the first steps of shaping us for all eternity. And so I thank you that you are a compassionate God who is at work in all of us, whatever stage we might be at but that you are at work. And so I thank you for this. Thank you that you are a God that we can turn to at all times. We love you and all of God's people prayed this in Jesus' name saying, amen, amen.